You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Hi, I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. I'm excited about today's interview because our guest has so much in common with me. Uh, we have a similar name. Uh, we were both mortgage brokers. She has been a broker helping people into commercial property. She does notes and she does regular economic updates for her real estate investor group in Orange County. And uh, I just really excited to see what she's thinking about for 2021 and beyond when it comes to real estate and, the, and some of the changes we might be seeing. So Kathleen Kramer, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. So happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Kathy. Appreciate you having me. Well, I'm excited to get your take on what's what you're projecting for the economy over the coming year and maybe over the next four years. We have a lot of listeners who are elated with election results. We have others who are absolutely terrified and think the economy is going to just collapse. So I would just love to get your um, insight as an economist and a real estate broker and investor on what you're thinking is coming over the next four years. We know change, but what kind? Well, that's right. Uh, that really is the only consistent thing is that there is always change, right? Yes. So, you know, um, after getting over initial shock uh, about the results and things of that nature, I, I think that anytime in real estate, when we see a market shift occurring, we have to kind of take a step back and look at the big picture and then reframe where we're going to take our investments for that new pathway or the new reality, if you will. So um, with things going, things shifting dramatically from more of a less regulation, open economy to more of a government driven economy, I think we as investors can look for those opportunities within the new guidelines and government regulations that are coming out, you know, almost daily, we're getting announcements, right? So mm -hmm. um, yeah. my personal philosophy is that there's always an opportunity in real estate. There's always a place within the cycle to get involved or a segment to get involved in. And so the key is really developing a framework so you understand the broader economy to understand where, where it might be a good place to get in at any given time. Yeah, I mean, that, I've had a few comments of, you know, keep politics out of this, but you absolutely can't keep politics out of it. You have to know what the next administration is going to be bringing into your field. You know, what, how is it going to affect your industry? And so we have to pay attention to politics. We need to be involved in politics. We vote, um, you know, that's why we're here to vote and, <laughs> and uh, put our opinion, you know, have our opinions matter. So we've got to have an opinion, right? Um, one of the things that I think, you know, you're a multifamily broker, you help people buy right. multifamily, and we do believe that there will be uh, an, an extended eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that for multifamily investors? Should they be concerned? Well, yes and no. I think that, um, so I do a lot of tracking of the data through these large groups that provide data to the industry. So for instance, Yardi Matrix is a fantastic organization and they publish reports monthly on the um, nationwide stage uh, status of the apartment market. Also, uh, the National Multifamily Housing Council does a webinar once every month and they bring on the top four large property management data companies 
and they talk about their market segment in some detail. So what we've seen to date from these webinars and from the data is that the class A, the large apartment complexes that are professionally managed are actually holding up quite well. Mm-hmm. They are collecting uh, most of their rents um, in the high, well, in the low 90s. I think the December number was 93.8%, um, just off the top of my head. <laughs> and so, um, which is only down four or 5% from a year ago at this time. So the large professionally managed uh, apartments are having a little bit different issue. They're having more issues with lease ups. They're spending more money to get a new tenant into their property. Um, And the people that, some of the people living in their properties who could no longer afford to live there have self-selected and moved down. So they've had a lot of turnover. So as apartment investors or any investors understand, the, um, the income that you collect at the end of the year is a total of not just your rents, but if you have vacancies, if you have move outs or lease ups or expenses that you spend getting your property back ready for a new tenant. So I think that the professionally managed units are in a better condition. Mm-hmm. There could be some exceptions in your large urban areas. So New York City, San Francisco, some of these large markets are seeing a lot of weakness and a lot of vacancies um, all of a sudden. So I think those markets have a lot more distress. The other area of distress would be your mom and pop small apartment units. Um, I'm in the Orange County, Southern California, you know, North LA area. So I'll pick on my area a little bit. And um, Long Beach was really my market territory. So in the Long Beach area, we have a lot of smaller apartment units, mm-hmm. four, five, six, eight, maybe 10 unit buildings, um, usually owned by a mom and pop. They've owned them for a long time. Maybe they're having trouble keeping up with all of the government regulation that has come out mm-hmm. since the pandemic. I mean, even before the pandemic, we had a lot of regulation in the housing industry in California mm-hmm. for tenant law. But since the pandemic, it's grown even larger. So, um, so keeping up with all of the notices, keeping up with all of the different requirements, the moratorium and so forth. So one of the opportunities that I do see it coming in the future, once we have some clarity on when the moratoriums will back off, one of the opportunities I do see is uh, for investors that have a fresh set of eyes, have some money in the bank, maybe they can withstand a little bit of distress they could come in and they could help some of these mom and pop um, owners move along with their asset into something more productive for them. And they could take on these assets um, and build value that way. Yeah, I mean, that does seem to be the opportunity is the under 100 unit multifamily because the larger units are generally managed by professionals and institutional investors and they have more systems in place and they understand the regulations. So do you think we'll be seeing more distress with those owners um, with the smaller multifamily across the country or or specifically in in larger cities? I don't think that it'll be evenly distributed across the country. And I think one of the things that we can look at um, for where these opportunities might exist is we can look for those parts of the country that have a more persistent higher unemployment rate. So for instance, if you look at the employment rate in Salt Lake City, Utah, 
it's lower than it was perhaps at the beginning of the pandemic. Isn't that amazing? hard to believe, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so, so um, what we can do is we can use uh, different data tools. Uh, the Federal Reserve Board out of St. Louis, it's the St. Louis Fed, they call it FRED. Mm -hmm. You can Google that. Uh, they have some fantastic charts and data tools where you can literally put in a zip code and it will give you the breakdown of the unemployment by category, then you can search, you can search by education level, by income level, all of these different variables. So if your investors are interested in digging and drilling down, and I know your company does a lot of this economic research for them, which is super handy, right? Because <laughs> anything you can have be done for you ahead of time is super helpful. But, uh, but for investors that are looking for opportunities, I think if you're really looking for the distress, you're going to have to be willing to take some risk on to get the big rewards. So if you're going to do that, then you want to look for areas that have been harder hit with the unemployment, however, but maybe have the potential to bounce back once right. the economy comes back. So, you know, uh, so again, Long Beach is a great example of that. Um, we have been very hard hit in the LA um, greater metro. But if things do bounce back in um, Long Beach is slated to host a lot of the Olympic events coming up in the future. And there'll be a lot of new construction in the Long Beach area to get ready for the Olympics. And so um, for investors that are willing to take on a little bit more risk in the short term, there could be some very good opportunities in these markets um, for things to bounce back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was some of the research I did on my uh, 2021 housing predictions is that some of the bigger cities are hurting more, but they tend to bounce back faster when things recover. So you've got to be really careful when you invest in cities like San Francisco or New York, because the the hits are hard, but the upside is real good too. So you, you don't necessarily want to buy at the top right before it goes down, because it can take a while to get your money back. But if you can time it right, that's when market timing is so important in the bigger cities. Uh, you can, if you buy when it's low, you can enjoy the bounce up versus the drop down. Uh, but then there's other markets that just kind of don't do all that. They're pretty steady. They're, uh, you know, linear markets. Like you said, Utah, I was shocked to see that how, how incredible, incredibly they're recovering there in Utah. I think they've had new mining jobs, new jobs in financial industry and in tech for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, that's something at Real Wealth that we've been focused on for a long time is, is businesses that are moving and bringing money, you know, bringing people and all that money with them to markets that have never experienced that before. So mm -hmm. someone will say, oh, you know, like when we started investing in Dallas, people said, oh my gosh, nothing ever happens in Dallas. Prices never go up. But what they weren't paying attention to was all these jobs going there, all these people going there with, with money. They're, they're getting paid to, to work. And, and so if there's not enough housing, then you're going to see prices go up, of course, which, what we've seen in, in Dallas. So what are we, what would you say are some shifts that are happening that may be permanent where jobs are moving, they're not going back, they're going to stay where they are. And as a result, we're going to see just a complete shift in economies in those areas, like we said, Salt Lake. Do you see any other cities like that? Well, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reports of, of things of that nature. So 
uh, a lot of the high tech is of course going to Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, then you hear about Nashville and, um, and even in um, Alexandria and uh, Arlington, Virginia. So if you look at some of the big employers, uh, Google, Amazon, um, you know, you can look and you can see these trends. And so for, for an investor that wants to follow those trends and who um, wants something that's a little more passive, then I think it makes so much sense to just kind of follow along. Um, you know, I know, uh, Kathy, you've, you've heard the phrase, don't fight the Fed. So <laughs> yeah. don't try to fight the trend. You know, yeah. why would you, why would you try to fight the trend? Um, doesn't make sense to fight it. Just, you know, if you can flow with and you can understand, but see, look a little bit farther ahead. Um, so for instance, um, we know that with the new administration, we are likely to have a lot of government subsidized, a lot more government subsidy. Mm -hmm. So we already saw from the pandemic. So uh, one of the things that I look at is what percentage of income in the economy comes from government payments or transfer payments. And, um, and it was about 16% before the pandemic. It went all the way up to 30% of total income in the United States came from government transfer payments. It's, it's now at 25. Mm -hmm. But so, um, so my theory is that looking at the stimulus packages that have been proposed and the policy papers that are published on the internet, right? I mean, the new administration, they're not coming up with this overnight. There's, there's things that we can look at as investors to see where the money from the government is going to flow. And then why not just try to go there? in front of it, <laughs> right? I, I, you know, um, and here's kind of that simple, really. <laughs> why not? So here's a real, here's a real life example. Is that, would that be helpful? Absolutely. Okay. So when I started my career, um, the city of Long Beach and the state of California had a lot of government intervention in the form of these things called CDBG grants. These were community development redevelopment block grants that came from the federal government through the state government and they had these groups within the state government that would hand out this money and then the cities would form programs around that to help subsidize what they wanted to, to implement. So one of the things they did in Long Beach is they were giving zero interest rate loans to apartment owners or buyers who committed to keeping low income tenants in those units for a period of years. And they put a deed restriction on the title of the property that the, uh, the tenants had to be under a certain percentage of the median household income, but then that fell off. So um, a whole group of investors made a lot of money investing in these units in the Long Beach marketplace. They provided low cost housing, affordable housing, which was it again, of course, um, in the marketplace, and they provided a benefit to those tenants. And when those restrictions fell off and the tenants turned over, they had an, inc an incredible increase in the value of those properties. So that's an example how if you can look ahead a little bit to where the government is going and or just even where the economy is going, where are the jobs going, where is the stimulus, where is that, where are those focal points? So as investors, if we can, you know, forget about the emotion of it a little bit mm -hmm. and, and read about the policy and what's being proposed and then form a plan 
a framework mm -hmm. of our own that we say, okay, I can kind of see how this line gets drawn. And this is the area that I feel comfortable investing in within real estate. This is where I think the market's going. And then find a partner like Real Wealth or another partner to partner with to help me make those plans come into reality, take action, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we can't, we, we've learned we cannot control a lot of things, right? Sure. So we have to look at people and say, wow, you know, this person has been an investor for 40 years. There's been many administrations that they've gone through and mm -hmm. they've just, like you said, had to work with those changes. Mm -hmm. And some of the changes that we're going to see, it's not really a change, actually. It's just more of the same, a lot more of the same, a lot of stimulus, a lot Mm -hmm. And and people rejoice about that. They I don't know why they they're we're not getting a lot of it. I mean, <laughs> the actual individuals are getting little tiny paychecks, but right. what they don't realize is that's their money that their you know their children are going to yes. be paying back. So it's like yes. here here's some money for you that we're taking from your future that you will pay back. But everybody seems happy about it. What what they don't understand is the repercussions of that and what's really going to happen from all this stimulus. So you can either be really upset about it, or you can say, how do I flow with this and not get destroyed? How can I actually benefit and help others around me benefit? So how, how can you benefit from enormous stimulus that's going to turn into debt that younger people are going to have to pay for later or all, all people um, through inflation and through you know debt? Um, how, how do you flow with that? <laughs> well, um, I think that uh, I think what we do is we try to we try to look at historical examples from the past and see what happened under certain situations. So a lot of people don't realize that the highest marginal tax rate used to be in the 80 percent range. <laughs> I mean, wow. do they remember that? And then Reagan came in and he lowered the tax rates. Right. And the, and cut the tax rates. And so, you know, um, we need to study history a little bit, a little yes. bit, a lot, and a lot. <laughs> and then we need to understand, okay, where are we? So let's say we're in the single family market asset class. That's our cup of tea. So we need to understand in the market where on the cycle of real estate is that right now, you know, are we in growth mode? Are we in, you know, are we overheated? Are we at the bottom? Well, we're not at the bottom, obviously, you know, um, and then different markets in the in the country can be in different places. And then we have to put our crystal ball, get our crystal ball out and rub it off a little bit. And we need to try to make our best estimate based on facts and history of where we think things are going, right? Where are demographic shifts going? Where is the employment going? And we need to, uh, we need to just be realistic and say, hey, you know what? Um, I think that with all this government stimulus in the past, when the government has printed a lot of money and put it into the economy, we've had inflation. So, and we have other examples in history of this type of inflation, not just in the United States. So um, what are the things that I need to invest in when there's an inflationary environment? Well, hard assets. Well, real estate is a hard asset. And as if I could buy something now, right? Let's think about urgency. If I could buy something now, I'll buy it with today's dollars. I can borrow and use leverage in today's dollars, pre-inflation dollars. I have a very low interest rate environment right now. So get, 
be reasonable, use appropriate leverage. Okay. My license plate is leverage. That's my license plate. Cause my first life in a previous life, I was a mortgage lender <laughs> like me. So, so anyways, um, using an appropriate amount of leverage, but using leverage because you're borrowing in today's dollars, you're borrowing at today's interest rates. And so if our belief is, is that inflation and interest rates will be going up um, and the value of that property will inflate, your rent that you collect will inflate with the, with the inflation, but your mortgage payment will not if you're on a fixed rate loan. So borrow what you can at the best rate you can and get that locked in on a nice long term, okay? 30 years if you can, or the longest term you can if it's an apartment loan, then, and then wait it out. If they're, you know, they're talking about getting rid of the 1031 exchange, well, then you need to be thinking about buying an asset that you wouldn't mind holding on to for a while until the, the pendulum swings back the other way, <laughs> right? Or there's another solution for disposing of that asset. Very good advice. Yeah, I, I think um, that's probably why we've seen mm -hmm. such demand for housing, such demand for real estate across the country, uh, prices going up. It's one of the reasons is a lot of people see that, that you can lock in these low rates, that it's uh, we have a shortage of of housing and it's expensive to build it. So there's no way you could, it's, it's buying existing properties probably cheaper than buying new. Uh, so, and, and will likely continue if payrolls are going up and construction costs more and materials cost more and, and fees are higher. So yeah, there's that's, that explains a lot of why people are flocking to real estate to lock in those, those low rates. I cannot believe we're in the middle of a refi right now. I cannot believe the rate we're getting. It's unbelievable. Having been in the mortgage industry, I got into the mortgage industry when um, rates got down to about seven, eight, six or no, I think it was 7%. And my dad was so excited. He could hardly stand it because he had been on a 9% rate. And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm refining into a 6%. And I didn't really understand what all that meant. But, you know, that, that was exciting then to think that we can get into 2% rates, you know, it, it's just, it's incredible. So yes, Isn't that lock fun? them in, lock them in, yeah, lock them in, lock and load, lock and load. Yep. And uh, yes. Yeah, so, and that's how I got my start in real estate. Also, uh, I, I became licensed in uh, 1994 and I worked for a top producer at a loan company and a mortgage company and what I noticed, and he was a top producer, so we had this high amount of volume from the get-go. And when you see that many files go across your desk, the, uh, you start to notice trends with people's tax returns and so on and so forth. And that's how I became a real estate investor. I started to notice the people who had the most income at retirement or the most options were the ones that were real estate investors. Now, they didn't necessarily pay the most in taxes, as we both know, there's all these shelters that are built into the system, which we hope we get to keep. But, uh, but at any rate, the, it, regardless, over time, making that investment on a fixed rate loan, that loan, that payment never changes, but your rents and your potential to earn more income goes up over time. And so that delta, if you will, or if you pay off that loan over time when you're ready to retire, that is life-changing. As you know, you've been around so many investors and your own story. You know, I'm very similar. My husband and I, in 2000, we uh, bought a house in Huntington Beach. 
We, I think our first was at seven and three quarters on a five one arm. And our second was at 11 and three quarters. We did an 80, 10, 10 stated income. <laughs> I mean, it was all the things that could go completely wrong, right? But because we were in the right part of the market cycle, when that happened, rates were coming down, values were going up, and the, that property doubled in value over the next five years. And we were able to capture some of that equity and buy fourplexes and buy other properties and invest and then just continue to reinvest to where now, you know, if we don't want to work, we don't work. We want to work. We like to work. We, we like to add value to people and help them and, and help ourselves and our family. But, uh, but, you know, you know, Kathy, the freedom that can come from that kind of um, perspective. And so at any rate, so that's what's exciting about real estate to me is that there's just so many different opportunities and different ways to invest and get involved. Um, there's so many asset classes and it really is just about maybe picking one to start with, becoming very good at that one. And then if things change or as your, as your personal economy changes, then look for ways to move up a little bit or, or tweak that. But it does, never has to be major. It doesn't have to be this big, huge, dramatic thing like, oh, I'm going to I'm just going to be this, you know, uh, you don't, we don't all have to be multi-billionaire real estate investors to create an amazing life. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what we teach is you can get up to 10 government backed loans locking in these low, low rates, but you can get them on one to four units. So you, you can technically get 40 units. Uh, with one person. And um, if you were able to buy, you know, that many fourplexes and if you're married and, and are able to qualify separately, you know, it could be 80 units, but not everybody wants that. Uh, we have helped thousands of people just get their 10, just take the 10 government loans that are, you know, Fannie and Freddie backed that are low, low interest rates today. And, you know, like you said earlier, the government tends to, um, you know, support investment that they want. They, they, they wouldn't offer 10 government backed investor loans if they didn't want people doing that. Right. You know, and I, and, and it certainly wasn't taken away during the Obama Biden administration. And I don't think that opportunity is going to be taken away in the next one because rental housing is needed. It's needed and there's financing for it. So take it, it's cheap. Uh, you know, but we have helped so many people buy, you know, the 10 properties through the Fannie or Freddie loans and, take the cash flow, pay off the first house, take the rest of the cash flow, pay off the second to where they can own them free and clear in, in 12 to 15 years if they buy right with enough, enough cash flow. And that's enough, you know, that's enough mm -hmm. because with inflation and potentially other investments that you have for retirement, depending on the lifestyle you want, it's enough because really what we're trying to achieve here is the, is the increase of personal freedom, the increase of hours that you can choose to do what you want with. And, and it doesn't take a lot of money to do that unless what you want to do is really super expensive. But for most people, <laughs> it's right. not, you know, That's honestly, right. for most people, they want to spend time with their loved ones. They mm -hmm. want to go paint things or work on their garden or go for a bike ride or, you know, mm -hmm. go to the beach, whatever. Like the things that we want to do for mo the most part are not that expensive. Um, unless you're like my husband who likes to hell ski and wants to jump out of an airplane, <laughs> you know, a helicopter in the middle of the Alps somewhere that, you know. I wish he just would prefer the ocean. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, that keeps us working a little harder, right, Kathy? That's right. <laughs> I have to buy. Always, to, 
<laughs> we have those dreams and aspirations, which is fine. You know, I mean, that's all, that's what life is really about. It's, it's very exciting, you know, um, and I have a lot of investors. So the last six or seven years, I've been giving back to the community by doing these market updates. And uh, the question I get all the time is, you know, um, you know, is it a good time to buy? What should I buy? You know, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. so I think one thing that uh, people can kind of take away is, is that the first thing is you need to know yourself. You need to understand how many hours do I want to put into this project? How much time do I have in order to do research? How much money do I have to invest? Um, and then where is my knowledge base and my comfort level? Now, I always encourage people to get outside their comfort zone, but when you're first making your first investment, you also want them to take that first step, right? You gotta actually get into action to create the result. So in my book, I call it the FAR method, which is framework, which is knowing yourself, getting the knowledge that you need to make that first step into whatever asset class you pick, taking action, maybe with the help of a mentor, right? Usually with the help of a mentor, definitely with the help of a team, because mm -hmm. you're going to need your lender and your man property manager and your insurance person and all those things. And then that leads to results. But just having the framework doesn't help. Just going to podcasts, going to meetings continually, you're never going to get anywhere until you put the A in the action, in, <laughs> you know? That's so, right. you know, it, getting stuck in the seminar process can, you know, can really hook people and it feels good to continue with the, the building of that knowledge, but it never really turns into a result unless you take a little bit of a risk by taking that action and taking that next step. Okay, I mean, I, I think one of the things when I was young, my parents, um, when growing up, I always recognized that buying real estate was a good investment. I saw my parents' home go from, they bought it for $55,000 to when I left for college, it was worth almost a million. And that... I saw that growth growing up as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I had it in my brain already. But some of the people that are coming up now, the kids that are the youth that are coming up now, don't have that same frame of reference because when they were kids, their parents may have lost their house to foreclosure. They mm -hmm. saw values plummet. They were they were raised in the global financial crisis. So again, you know, to your younger listeners, get some of that historical background look at some of that history and try to read as much as you can. I remember at, in my 20s, I read uh, Kiyosaki's book came out, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then um, I read his book about building wealth and the quadrants. And that really changed how I thought about work and how I thought about earning income. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was such a pivotal part of my development because my dad worked for wages and I had never had that kind of an experience of the self-employed thought process to learn from. So, um, so you know, if 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 there are younger listeners listening to this, that entrepreneurial spirit, you know, um, reading some of those books like by Kiyosaki and some of the other entrepreneurs that are out there today, um, to get some insight into that because, you know, with the research, part of the framework is you have to understand how to then manage that wealth and that income and not lose it all back to the government in taxes. And yes. so, you know, you'll build wealth a lot faster, as we both know, if you keep more of what you earn legally, but learn the rules so that you can keep more of what you earn 
uh, and and not lose it off to the government and have it be you know siphoned off from your nest egg. So to keep that rolling, I know you teach that a lot of that to your clients. And so, but I if somebody's brand new and listening to this, I would just say that those would be a couple of things that I could just little nuggets like build that framework of what you're willing to learn about, what you can do, and then take action. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have focused and, and become successful. And as soon as I see that, I, even my own daughter, she started a marketing company and it's just taking off. Um, she has so many clients and she's making so much money. It's a shock to her. She's having to hire people. And I said, uh, honey, um, another thing you might want to realize is you're going to be in another tax bracket and you're going to get a big hit in April because I don't know about you, but I remember the first year that happened to us when we actually right. got married and we both were doing pretty well. And then we were not at all aware of the amount of taxes we would owe and it was massive and wiped us out. So, mm-hmm. you know, to, you've got to understand how taxes work and at what point a lot more is coming out of your paycheck and that you need to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that there's ways to offset it. And, and there's a, a purpose for that, but what there is no way to offset the silent tax. Uh, mm-hmm. That tax is coming to everybody and mm-hmm. there's no way out of it. And that silent tax is inflation. Mm-hmm. So when we're getting these huge stimuluses, trillions of dollars being excited about, oh my gosh, I get a $600 check and now maybe it's gonna be another 1400, I get $2,000. Well, guess what? You're gonna be paying so much more if for everything because of inflation. It, that $2,000 is going to feel like nothing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but you can offset that by saving your money, buying your first home. There Mm -hmm. is no reason why you can't. The Biden administration is going to be giving um, all kinds of tax credits and incentives to get people Mm -hmm. to get the middle class into home ownership. Mm-hmm. And, and they, you know, they did that in the Biden Obama administration with tax credits for buying a home that's coming back. Mm-hmm. So do it, do it, mm-hmm. find out, talk to a lender, find out what it's going to take. And if you're a first time home buyer, you might be shocked to find out you can do it. There's low day, low, low down payment programs. There's going to be tax credits. Mm-hmm. Just do it. You know, I don't know when you were a mortgage broker, wasn't it one of the most satisfying things to sit with somebody and be able to say, you qualify, or you don't qualify, but if you do this, this, and this, you will. And then people have a roadmap, right? So just talk to your mortgage broker and find out what you can qualify for and take advantage of of what you're gonna, you need to do to Mm -hmm. stay up with what's coming, to keep up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's right. And, um, And I think it's also a surprise to people to learn how do you maintain that mortgage eligibility? So, you know, some of the variables that I remember coaching people on is, okay, so now you've got your primary residence. Before you go and buy that new car or get a new auto lease, yes. let's go get your rental property first. Yes. And then depending on in if you and depending on this cash flow, teaching them here's how to sustain your bank ability by adding more properties. So every property that you add should be making it easier to qualify, not harder. And those are some of the things, some of the skills of investing that are lost on a lot of people. Even even long-term investors don't understand how the system works. So another really good thing to educate yourself on is, you know, and you can go to, I mean, see now you you can kind of see how I am with my economics and statistical brain. 
<laughs> I'm a research girl, right? So I was the loan officer that read all the guidelines. I was the one who knew how to add back exactly what you could add back, exactly what you could use for income and what you couldn't use for income. So, but you know, there's no reason these guidelines are all published on the internet from Fannie Mae. You can just go to Fannie Mae and look up the underwriting guidelines for income or for credit or what have you. And you can find out this is, this is what I need to do. And of course that could be made a lot faster by finding a really good loan officer to work with who understands income property. But, um, but, you know, these are some of the skills in building this framework, you know, um, about, you know, if this is my goal and where I want to get to and how much income I need to replace my W-2 job or whatever goal it is, you know, my goal was to take care of my parents. So I knew I needed a pretty nice monthly income to take care of, you know, because elder care is one of the most expensive types of care. <laughs> so, you know, so um, these types of things you need to understand as an investor, and then you can back into it. But, um, but again, don't let, don't let the big, hairy, you know, billion dollar goal scare you off. It's more important to take that first step and get into action you know, and whatever you need to do to get into action. I think now is the time um, because the inflation is coming and anybody that gets in now, I, I believe truly is going to be happy that they did, you know, especially if you can get into something at or under replacement costs, yeah. you know, if you can get into something at or under replacement costs that, you know, because those replacement costs are just going to be going up and that will put a floor under that investment. It gives you a safety net, so to speak. Yeah. And if you can, uh, you know, have your first property, maybe be a fourplex and you can, you can get the low interest rate financing FHA loan or something 3% mm -hmm. down and already be a landlord, live in one unit, rent out the rest. That, that would be a great place to start, right? Exactly. It might that's not be your dream home, but it's a start. <laughs> that's right. You have to start somewhere. And, and so, you know, so really that's, that's kind of um, what I'm about these days is helping people get started or figure out where they need to be in the spectrum of real estate. You know, there are some more advanced investors that I talk to who are just saying, you know, gosh, you know, here's my mix of stuff. What do I do next? You know, and so I love having those kinds of conversations with people. Um, so anything else you'd like to share today? Yeah, I think I'd like to just share a couple of ideas that I have for more experienced investors. Okay. So, uh, because I think there is a lot of opportunity in the distress and in the cycle um, that we have. So, mm -hmm. one of the uh, resources that I watch is the Mortgage Bankers Association, and they are tracking a lot of distress in the commercial market space, in the lending. Mm -hmm. So, this is a four foretelling of where the REOs or where those opportunities for buying distress might come up. So I'll give you an example. So we all know that the hotel and leisure industry has been very, very hard hit. In fact, yeah. um, it, as of September, over 35% of the mortgages on hotel properties were in some form of distress or default, wow. had missed at least one payment, which is a huge number. Yeah. And this is according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. I think it's higher than that now. So, um, so one of the investors that I know, what they did is they went to uh, a distressed property in a major market and a hotel property that was floundering. And they negotiated with that owner and they um, acquired that property. 
And then they turned around and they went to the state government, the government of that state, and they uh, negotiated a master lease for those units. So they're going to put long-term tenants in this hotel property. They have to do a few little renovations. It's not a huge project, but I think that's an incredible idea of, um, and because we need the housing, right? Mm-hmm. And we need the housing at all different levels. And perhaps having the housing at that level, which is not, it's not the entry level housing of what they did, but that might free up some apartment units at the entry level that are you know, needed in that market space. So I think that uh, for those people that have been in the industry for a while, that have some cash and have some network, they may want to look for some distress opportunities in that regard. Um, And then, of course, we're also looking at a few opportunities, and we're still seeing how this is going to develop in uh, in the note, on the note side of the business, which is the side that my husband and I are in currently. Yeah, well, we'll have to bring you back to talk about about notes. That's definitely uh, the more passive investment of all <laughs> the most exactly the advance that did that's for the investor that's tired of the termites and the toilets and the tenants right when you right. when you're done with the three t's or you just can't stand your property manager any longer <laughs> yeah then then getting into the note business is is another very interesting you said that's a long conversation for another day sounds great all right any, before i wrap up anything else no i think that was good, good. okay yeah okay great Oh, well, Kathleen, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and great to have you here on The Real Well Show. I look forward to your next economic update to let us know what changes we might be expecting. Uh, And uh, yeah, I look forward to having you back. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you, Kathy. Take care and be safe, everyone. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. You can watch my 2021 housing forecast at realwealthshow.com. Just click on webinars and you'll find it there. I share a lot of data, a lot of the information that we discussed on today's show. You can see with slides and graphs and get an idea of maybe what's coming in 2021 for the housing market. A lot of people were surprised to see prices going up uh, over this past year during a pandemic, but we were not surprised and and uh, we were kind of sharing details and graphs and charts back in March um, as to why we thought, no, actually uh, last January, but then when the pandemic came in March as well, uh, because we knew the supply demand factors that there was less supply, more demand, even more demand since more people were staying at home. So we actually were one of the few groups predicting that prices would go up and and that uh, there would be more applications for rentals than ever and, and rents would even go up and that's what's happened. Even with eviction moratoriums in place, even with forbearances, um, you know, these are just going to turn into loan modifications for the most part, people will just make those missed payments at the end. So these are some of the things that that we predicted. You can see why with my 2021 housing forecast again at realwealthshow.com. Thanks for joining me.